0: Hi, and welcome back to the Doctrine and Covenants podcast. This will be for section 75. The heading reads, Revelation given through Joseph Smith the prophet at Amherst, Ohio, January the 25th, 1832. This section comprises two separate revelations, the first in verses 1 through 22 and the second in verses 23 through 36, given on the same day. The occasion was a conference at which Joseph Smith was sustained and ordained president of the high priesthood. Certain elders desired to learn more about their immediate duties. These revelations followed. This revelation was given at a conference held in Amherst, Lorain County, Ohio. At this conference, the prophet observed, Much harmony prevailed and considerable business was done to advance the kingdom and promulgate the gospel to the inhabitants of the surrounding county or country. It was at this conference that Joseph Smith was sustained and ordained president of the high priesthood. Joseph Smith also observed that the elders seem anxious for me to inquire of the Lord that they might know his will or learn what would be most pleasing to him for them to do. In order to bring men to a sense of their condition, for as it was written, all men have gone out of the way, so that none doeth good, no, not one. I inquired and received the following. Also during the conference itself, Joseph Smith was presented, sustained, and set apart as president of the high priesthood of the church. It should be remembered that Joseph already possessed the office of apostle and of priesthood authority necessary to organize the church and preside over all its quorums and auxiliaries. These he had received into the hands of Peter, James, and John. It was still necessary, however, for Joseph to be accepted and set apart within the structure of the church according to the Law of Common Consent. Orson Pratt related, at this conference the prophet Joseph was acknowledged president of the high priesthood and hands laid on him by Elder Sidney Rigdon. At this conference, by the request of the priesthood, the prophet inquired of the Lord and a revelation was given and written in the presence of the whole assembly, appointing many of the elders to missions, among whom Elder Lyman E. Johnson and myself were named and appointed on a mission to the eastern states. Verse 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I who speak even by the voice of my Spirit, even Alpha and Omega, your Lord and your God, hearken, O ye who have given your names to go forth to proclaim my gospel and to prune my vineyard. Behold, I say unto you that it is my will that you should go forth and not tarry, neither be idle, but labor with your might, lifting up your voices as with the sound of a trump, proclaiming the truth according to the revelations and commandments which I have given you. The church is charged with the responsibility to declare the message of the restoration among those of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Here, the missionaries are reminded that they are to declare that message from the revelations given through the prophet Joseph Smith. It is offensive to the spirit when missionaries seek refuge and respectability in the Bible rather than declaring the message the Lord gave for our day. The Book of Mormon is the perfect evidence that Joseph Smith is a prophet, not the book of Isaiah, Jeremiah, or Daniel. The testimony of Christ, as found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is nothing short of marvelous, yet even their testimonies take on greater meaning when read by the light of modern revelation. While we value that which God spoke to the ancients, we treasure even more the knowledge that he has spoken again in our day, restored his priesthood, and given anew all the ordinances of salvation." That was by Joseph E. L. McConkie. Verse 5, And thus, if ye are faithful, ye shall be laden with many sheaves, and crowned with honor and glory and immortality and eternal life. Therefore, verily I say unto you, unto my servant William E. McClellan, I revoke the commission which I gave unto him to go unto the eastern countries. I give unto him a new commission and a new commandment, in the which I, the Lord, chasten him for the murmurings of his heart. And he sinned. Nevertheless, I forgive him and say unto him again, Go ye into the South countries. William McClellan is given another chance to fulfill his mission call. He will be called as one of the original members of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. He was excommunicated in 1838. He died outside the church. Earlier, William E. McClellan had been commanded in a revelation to go to the eastern states as companion of Samuel Smith. They served together for about one month. McClellan records that he then became ill and was confined to bed. However, Samuel Smith commented, We went a short distance, but because of disobedience, our way was hedged up before us. Although Samuel does not indicate the nature of the disobedience, in this revelation, the Lord chastised William McClellan for the murmurings of his heart. McClellan was was reassigned to a new area of labor with Luke Johnson, but during that missionary sojourn, McClellan faltered in the faith. After he preached on the night of the 25th of February, 1831, McClellan's mind was filled with doubts and he debated whether his call to preach was by man or by the fountain of all wisdom. Unable to resolve his dilemma, the missionary determined that he would cease proclaiming until I was satisfied in my own mind. Commenting on this sudden termination of their labors by his companion, Johnson stated, Brother McClellan got a situation behind a counter to sell tapes and so on, and I, referring not to proceed, preferring not to proceed alone, returned to the town of Hiram, and the prophet appointed Seymour Brunson in his stead, with whom I traveled through Ohio, Virginia, and Kentucky. Verse 9, And let my servant Luke Johnson go with him and pro- proclaim the things which I have commanded, him, commanded them. Luke Johnson would be ordained an apostle, but would later be excommunicated in 1838. He was later rebaptized in 1847. He died active in the church in 1861 in Salt Lake City. He was brother-in-law to Orson Hyde. Verse 10, calling on the name of the Lord for the comforter, which shall teach them all things that are expedient for them, praying always that they faint not. And inasmuch as they do this, I will be with them even unto the end. Behold, this is the will of the Lord your God concerning you. Even so, amen. And again, verily, thus saith the Lord, Let my servant Orson Hyde and my servant Samuel H. Smith take their journey into the eastern countries, and proclaim the things which I have commanded them. And inasmuch as they are faithful, lo, I will be with them even unto the end. And again, verily, I say unto my servant Lyman Johnson, and unto my servant Orson Pratt, they shall also take their journey into the eastern countries, and behold, and lo, I am with them also even unto the end. And again, I say unto my servant Asad Dodds, Nothing more is known about Asa Dodds in church history, and unto my servant Calves Wilson, nothing more is known about Calves Wilson in the church history, that they also take their journey in unto the western countries and proclaim my gospel even as I have commanded them. And he who is faithful shall overcome all things and shall be lifted up at the last day. So it is that the promise of victory is not to those of strength or to those of great intellect, but to those of faith. That was by Joseph Ely McConkie, verse seventeen. And again, I say unto my servant Major N. Ashley. Nothing more is known regarding Major Ashley in church history, and my servant Burr Riggs. Burr Riggs was excommunicated from the church for neglect of his duty. Let them take their journey also into the south country. Yea, let all those take their journey as I have commanded them, going from house to house, and from village to village, and from city to city. And in whatsoever house ye enter, and they receive you, leave your blessing upon that house. Wherever the servants of the Lord go, they should leave a blessing." And in whatsoever house ye enter, and they receive you not, ye shall depart speedily from that house, and shake off the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. Joseph Fielding Smith said, The elders who delivered the message were also assigned to be judges in the day of judgment against those who rejected their testimony. Missionaries of the church should realize this fact. They are sent to warn the world, and when they faithfully do their duty, they will stand... As witnesses against those who reject them, but if they fa- if they fail to perform their duty, then those unto whom the message should have been given will stand up as accusers in their turn, and the unlawful uh, and the unfaithful ser- ser- servants will be uh, c- condemned. I should probably read that last part again, huh? Um, but if they fail to perform their duty, then those who those unto whom the message should have been given will stand as accusers in their turn, and the unfaithful servants will be condemned. Verse 21. And you shall be filled with joy and gladness, and know this, that in the day of judgment you shall be judges of that house and condemn them. The principles here announced find dramatic application in the experience of Samuel Smith, who went forth as the first missionary in this dispensation. Mother Smith records his experience as follows. On the 13th Or on the 30th of June, Samuel started on the mission to which he had been set apart by Joseph. And in traveling 25 miles, which was his first day's journey, he stopped at a number of places in order to sell his books, but was turned out of doors as soon as he declared his principles. When evening came on, he was faint and almost discouraged, but coming to an inn, which was surrounded with every appearance of plenty, he called to see if the landlord landlord would buy one of his books. On going in, Samuel inquired of him if he did not wish... To purchase a history of the origin of the indians i do not know replied the host how did you get hold of it it was translated rejoined samuel by my brother from some gold plates that he found buried in the earth You liar, cried the landlord, get out of my house. You shan't stay one minute with your books. Samuel was sick at heart, for this was the fifth time he had been turned out of doors that day. He left the house and traveled a short distance and washed his feet in a small brook as a testimony against the man. He then proceeded five miles further on his journey, and seeing an apple tree a short distance from the the road, he concluded to pass the night under it, and here he lay all night upon the cold, damp ground. In the morning he arose from his comfortless bed, And observing a small cottage at no great distance, he drew near, hoping to get a little refreshment. The only inmate was a widow, who seemed very poor. He asked her for food, relating the story of his former treatment. She prepared him victuals, and after eating, he explained to her the history of the Book of Mormon. She listened attentively and believed all that he had told her, but in consequence of her poverty, she was unable to purchase one of the books. He presented her with one and proceeded to Bloomington, which was eight miles further. Here he stopped at the house of John P. Green, who was a Methodist preacher and was at that time about starting on a preaching mission. He, like the others, did not wish to make a purchase of what he considered at that time to be a nonsensical fable. However, he said that he would take a subscription paper, and if he found anyone on his route who was disposed to purchase, he would take his name. And in two weeks, Samuel might call again, and he would let let him know what the prospect was of selling. After making his arrangement or this arrangement Samuel left one of his books with him and returned home at the time appointed Samuel started again for the rever- for the Reverend John P Greens in order to learn the success which this gentleman had met with in finding sale for the Book of Mormon. This time Mr. Smith and myself accompanied him, and it was our intention to have passed near the tavern, where Samuel was so abusively treated a fortnight previous, but just before we came to the house, a sign of smallpox intercepted us. We turned aside, and meeting a citizen of the place, we inquired of him at what ex- to what extent this disease prevailed. He answered that the tavern keeper and two of his family had died with it not long since, but he did not know that anyone else had caught the Disease and that it was brought into the neighborhood by a traveler who stopped at the tavern overnight. Ooh, that was Samuel. I guess the dusting of the feet there uh, had an effect on the family, didn't it? Verse 22, and it shall be it shall be more tolerable for the heathen in the day of judgment than for that house. Therefore, gird up your loins and be faithful, and ye shall overcome all things and be lifted up at the last day. Even so, amen. And again, thus saith the Lord unto you, O ye elders of my church who have given your names that you might know his will concerning you. Behold, I say unto you that it is the duty of the church to assist in supporting the families of those and also to support the families of those who are called and must needs be sent unto the world to proclaim the gospel unto the world. Joseph Fielding Smith said, The brethren who were called to take these missionary journeys were quite generally poor men and temporal things. It was difficult for them to go out on the Lord's work and leave their families without support. Yet the call was essential for the souls of, of men were at stake, and there were those waiting to hear the message who would be a strength to the church after they received the gospel. The Lord took into account the needs of the families of these brethren, and he said it is the duty of the church to assist in supporting the families of those who are called and must needs be sent unto the world to proclaim the gospel unto the world. The commandment, therefore, was given that suitable places should be provided in which these families could be housed and cared for, and the members of the church were admonished to open their hearts and assist in this undertaking. If there were brethren, however, who could support themselves and their families, this was required of them. Verse 25, Wherefore I, the Lord, give unto you this commandment, that ye obtain places for your families, inasmuch as your brethren are willing to open their hearts. And let all such as can obtain places for their families, and support of the church for them, not fail to go into the world, wherefore, whether to the east, or to the west, or to the north, or to the south. Let them ask, and they shall receive, knock, and it shall be opened unto them, and be made known unto them, or made known from on high, even by the Comforter, whither they shall go." And again, verily I say unto you, that every man who is obliged to provide for his own family, let him provide, and he shall in no wise lose his crown, and let him labor in the church." When a choice must unavoidably be made between supporting one's family or accepting a mission call, one must meet the higher obligation and support one's family. When such a choice is necessary, the faithful member need not fear losing his place in the kingdom. When resources are not sufficient to do all that is asked of us, we must prioritize. According to President Harold B. Lee, the first priority should be to maintain their own spiritual and physical strength. Then comes their family, then the church, and then their professions. Many members set their priorities in exactly the opposite direction order, usually to the wounding of all parties involved. Verse 29, let every man be diligent in all things, and the idler shall not have place in the church except he repent and mend his ways. Anyone with leisure time who is unwilling to consecrate it to the kingdom, in this context, the idler was one who would neither serve a full-time mission nor accept a local calling or assignment. Idlers may be members of record and they may even attend their church meetings, but those who will not work to build the kingdom are not members in good standing, and unless they repent, have forfeited their place in the celestial kingdom. Verse thirty. Wherefore let my servant Simeon Carter Simeon Carter remain true and faithful all his life. That's good news, isn't it? Most of the people it seems like they apostatize and leave. Sorry. Editorial comment. And my servant Emer Harris, brother, brother of Martin Harris, he remained faithful all his life. Be united in the ministry. And also my servant Ezra Thayer and my servant Thomas B. Marsh. And also my servant Hiram Smith and my servant Reynolds Cahoon. This is the man who asked the prophet Joseph to bless his infant son and gave him a name. The name Joseph gave him was Mahanri Moriankomer. Remember that story? I'm sure you do. Verse 33, and also my servant Daniel Stanton. Daniel remained a faithful member of the church throughout his life and my servant Seymour Brunson. Seymour died faithful in the church, and the Lord said of him, I have taken him unto myself. Verse 34, and also my servant Sylvester Smith. Sylvester left the church, and my servant Gideon Carter. Gideon was one of the first martyrs for the church, and also my servant Ruggles Eames. I like that name, Ruggles. No further reference in church history is made of Ruggles. And my servant Stephen Burnett. Stephen left the church. And also my servant Micah B. Welton. No further mention of Micah is made in church history. And also my servant Eden Smith. Eden did not travel west with the body of the church, but died in Indian or in Indiana in 1851 at the age of 45. Even so, amen. I bear testimony of the truth of the gospel and of these scriptures, and that this is revelation received by the prophet. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. See you next time. Bye.